Hi, and welcome to Data Talk. Our podcast covers all things data collection, web scraping, and analytics that will help you and your business become more data driven. I'm Phil Burns, Growth Marketing Director at Luminati, the data collection and proxy network. So welcome to another episode of, uh, of Data Talks. Today, we have my um, infamous co-host, Omri Orgad. Omri, how are you doing? I think it's a great, e- great evening. It's evening when we're recording, I don't know, but when you're listening to it, it's... Uh, it could be any time of the day. It could be any time, but for me, it's evening and it's a great evening. I love talking to Josh. Great. And today, we're very excited to have Josh van der Willek with us. Um, I want to say it as well. Can I say it again? Say it again. Josh van der Willek. Yeah, you both got it wrong. How do you W at the end? It's a Van der Willek? That's right. Van der Willek. Josh, tell us about where you're from with the surname of Van der Willek. Well, my grandparents were Dutch immigrants to Canada. They came uh, just after the Second World War. So you must be what, third or fourth generation Canadian? Uh, Nope. My grandparents are, are immigrants. My parents were the first ones born in Canada. And then there's me. Okay. And do you still carry with you those, those Dutch roots, that Dutch heritage? Um, I speak enough, enough Dutch to sound like a fool, if that helps. I know the feeling well. Not that I speak Dutch. Sounds like you speak English. Yes, like a fool. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Josh, you, um, you've worked at Luminati for four years, I believe. Yep. And you started as a junior developer. And the mm-hmm. current role that you're in is, is head of um, our data collection product. I think your, your official title is product. Uh, product manager is the official title, but that title hardly means anything. You're solely responsible for creating this, um, the, the, one of our, our core products, which is the data collector. Yeah, I'm managing the team behind it. Right. So I think it's really interesting to, to first know a little bit about you, like how has this journey of yours um, unraveled itself and to find you in this position? So let's maybe go back for four or five years um, and hear a little bit about your journey up into where we are today. Uh, well, I first started working at Luminati because uh, one of the HR people sent me an email out of the blue asking if I wanted to travel to Israel to interview for a job. And it just so happens that I was bored at my current job. So I said, why not? So uh, I went, I interviewed, it went better than I expected. Um, then I just started working. So they, they flew you for a physical interview to Israel? Yeah. And what were you doing before that, that, that warranted a flight to another, the other, literally the other side of the world um, for, excuse me saying it, but a junior developer position? position. What was the... Well, part of it is because Luminati does this with everyone they hire. Everyone at the end of the hiring process comes to the office to kind of work face-to-face to make sure that there's a good company fit. So it's kind of the the ending of the interview process for all their staff. There's nothing special about the junior developer position that warranted it. But you'd already started the process and yeah. you were at the final stage of, of being flown over. Right. Did you fly business? No, not business. I think it's um, I think it's very interesting um, to how Josh talks. This is us. Like yeah, and then I flew to Israel and I you know I finished the interview process. I think this is kind of you know a lot of people in the in Illuminati that are doing amazing stuff like with ease. 
no, yeah, you know, I did something awesome today and like uh, now I'm moving on. And this is Josh. The funny thing is, is it wasn't until like a couple months later that I actually thought about the whole process and went, that was a really weird decision that I made. <laughs> but it worked. It worked out, but it was a weird decision. I think it's a, a, a weirdly simple, uh, you know, for yeah. like it's so simple that it works. Yeah. Someone asks you a question, you just say yes. Maybe in today's world, that, that seems weird to fly across the world for, for an interview. Um, in what may seem random, but when you actually look at the logic, it makes perfect sense. You're hiring somebody to um, a very successful company with a very strong culture. It actually makes perfect sense. Imagine like recruitment costs and fees to, to fly somebody over. And you, there's nothing like, you know, I wish we were doing this conversation face to face because it's, there's nothing like speak looking in somebody's eyes, but um, you know, it, it actually, I think makes, makes a lot of sense. Oh, it completely makes sense from a company perspective. It just, it isn't my normal wheelhouse to hop on an airplane and <laughs> fly to someone else's office for a bit yeah. on a whim. So what were you doing before the, the whole recruitment process at Luminati? Um, I was working some like super basic, like uh, grocery store, uh, product, not product, like the inventory management system software nothing glorious pretty dull uh, and just building stuff in my spare time constantly what attracted you to say yes to that to that initial to start that process what was the attraction well the people i talked to seemed competent and like they knew what they were doing and it's actually been my experience in illuminati that every time i've had a boss they're at least three times more competent than i am which is equal parts uh, scary and exciting but uh Probably, I don't know. I didn't see any obvious red flags and I thought, why not? Let's give it a go. And what did you see as a head of support? As an engineer doing support, what's the kind of like, uh, what's your take on that? What's like the... I'm always amazed at how blind people can become when they're working on something to the things that regular people don't understand. So basically what you're saying is that People are doing the same thing again and again. They've come blind to the opportunities to fix it. Yeah, exactly. So something that you see 400 times a day makes complete sense to you because you speak with all of your coworkers and you all use the same language. And then you go to talk to one person outside and you say one sentence and they don't understand what you're saying at all because you're using all the internal lingo and you already have the whole world in your head. But uh, we're missing the opportunity to make it simple so that they can understand it immediately. How, how did you do that? How did you transfer something which to you made perfect sense, but complicated to somebody else? When the customer doesn't know, kind of doesn't go into the kitchen, sometimes it actually makes, um, it doesn't go into the kitchen and watches how the food is made. It sometimes become more difficult to communicate with them because they don't know what is the kind of the core problem to solve it. But that's what makes it so interesting, I think, today for Actually, us. there's an interesting uh, thing about this. When... When we were originally offering just proxies, uh, it, the interaction with the customer was fairly simple because we offered one very clear interface and the customers all knew how to use it. And then as we began to step up the level of, um, let's call it customer aid, and we offered Unblocker, which is like a proxy that does some things for you, uh, most of the time we encountered problems with the Unblocker was when we were doing some of what was needed and the customer was screwing up the part that was needed to make it work perfectly. So then we took it to the end with the data collection. We're just like, we'll handle the whole thing end to end. So there's no opportunity for this to go wrong. And uh, you, you now you talk to a lot of people that are not developers. What, what is your take on 
um, developers into non-developers discussion? How do you solve that? Well, again, it's another case where you become, you work with something every day. And, and as a developer, code makes a lot of sense to me and technology makes a lot of sense to me. And I'm always amazed at how much people don't know. And I don't mean it in a negative way. Some technical people get very uh, judgy about non-technical people, but like, I don't know how to fix my car. It's just the way the world is. You leave specialists to do their specialty. Um, so when I talk to non-developers, I'm always kind of confronted by the stuff that I take for granted and isn't clear to them. I look at it in a way, it's, it's actually very similar to what I'm experiencing. And the way I kind of found a, um, a journey to, uh, to uh, solve that is I understand that I'm a guest in the world. So right. and, and in COVID, it's, by the way, it's so exaggerated. Like the guy, someone wakes up, they have a day job, they have a team to manage, they have the product to develop. And then there's a funny guy from Israel that pops up in the screen and starts to talk about a funny technology that's called data collection. So I'm a guest in their world. So I have right. to respect that. And I have to find a way that they will understand me. Right, because the only way you understand it is you've spent years learning about it. Right, because I worked with you. Exactly. So it's not a traditional, like, you know, you would imagine like a SaaS product where it's like an off the shelf kind of you, you're convincing somebody that they need this and there's value in it. This is more of a partnership where you're really um, connecting on a deeper level to solve their problems and to, to, to create success. Well, I think that any SaaS company who's worth their salt, um, is going to spend time talking to real customers and understanding what the customer actually needs. Because especially in a big complicated product like the data collector, uh, to assume that we have it nailed down exactly and it fits every use case perfectly is just arrogant and probably wrong. So if we spend time talking to people and understanding what they need and then building what we think they need and testing it with them and iterating constantly, and this is happening over the lifetime of the product and will continue to happen for as long as it's alive, um, then we end up with something that's much better than we would have if we just assumed we we're correct to start. How, how do you see the incremental um, point of view of Luminati to everything kind of, you know, embodied in, in your development work? Um, it has its ups and downs. Nothing is completely good or completely bad, but I think it's a much smarter way to approach the business world than I've seen before because you want to explain um, what that is, Omri? Like, what is the Luminati way in terms of like um, incremental development? When Luminati looks at the problem, first they look at what is the current problem at hand. They don't look at the big problem, at the huge problem. Like, let's solve the market problem. We have a a, a, a customer with a specific problem. We're gonna solve it. We're gonna improve the situation because we know that first we created value. We created it now. It's immediate. Um, and when we'll get to the next step, we'll solve the problems we face there. And the, it, that's the incremental method. Um, the opposing way to do it is like build a strategy and stay steps and stages, and we need to accomplish a roadmap and everything. We do have like a large plan, 
but we always do what's right in front of us. And the reason that at the core of that is in many cases, when we try to accomplish a strategy, the market has already moved on. Or the, or the strategy that you defined was incorrect to start with and you didn't know until you got to the end. Yeah, that's, you know, either or, it doesn't matter, you missed the target. And in Luminati, um, our approach is incremental. There is a small problem, we're gonna do it. We created a value, we're one step closer to the real problem uh, and to the real solution. And it's in everything, in sales, in product, in development, in, uh, in, even in HR. Yeah, the general philosophy is that if you see a problem and you define a solution, the first version of the solution needs to be running in one day. The bad side of it is, just to get that out of the way to start with, is it can be a little bit more chaotic because you don't have a plan. Your plans can change on a day-to-day basis because every day you're learning. And if your learning doesn't affect your plan, then you're planning poorly. So the good side of it is that as soon as you learn, then you can change the plan and you change the trajectory as you learn uh, what the customer actually wants, what the need of the market is, what we're capable of as a company and, and what we've built so far. So if we uncover the fact that uh, you know we're missing some critical feature and it's really hurting our customers, it doesn't really matter what the plan was yesterday. Uh, the plan from now until that's fixed is to fix that. What do you see the response of customers to it? Usually it's um, when you work with a customer and actually solve their problem and you make it clear that you're listening to them and fixing the issues they find, uh, usually there's a lot of gratitude and a lot of appreciation. Like the customers who feel listened to have way more patience than the customers you're not listening to. What is the... uh... Use business terms, right? If I'll ask you, you know, say the same sentence again, but in business terms, what, what would be your response? I'm going to have to turn my business brain on for a sec, one sec. Yeah. Appreciation is not business. No, but it's advocacy and it's loyalty. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's a better product. You earn more if your product is better and your product is better if you listen to your customers. That's just smart business. Like out of 100%, how much is like customers' input is out of the Illuminati product? Customer input, like the what they request specifically, I'm going to say maybe 30%. What they accidentally request by just having problems and talking with us is like 70%. Or maybe 60% and there's 10% where we, we have a direction in mind and we're working towards something. But most of it is that we hear a problem and we solve the problem. And as we keep solving problems, then we begin to get a clear picture of the problem behind the problems. So we begin to solve that problem. and the the products sort of define themselves more than we define the product. That's super interesting. I think, I, I don't know, like companies I worked before, I don't think that that's the, the way they do it, you know? It's so, it's kind of really so fluid. You're really understanding the problem today and solving it. And we can talk about like, and it's a question I wanted to ask you, where do you see these products? Like how are they going to evolve in two years, five years? Like where do you see the industry going? Um, but really and that's great to, to have a vision and it's so important for a company to have a vision. But what you're saying is that our product is evolving based on the, 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 the conversations we're having with customers today. Again, since every day is an iterative decision-making process, uh, it would be irresponsible of me to authoritatively say that in five years we'll be in some particular place. Um, but 
based on what I know now, my estimate for where we'll be in five years is something like, uh, like let's take Google as a company. The reason that they work the way that they do and have the product that they do is that they have most of the information that's publicly available on the internet at their fingertips to present to their search users in whatever format they think they, the user needs. So what I would like to do is to have the same kind of transparency in the internet and the same easy access to whatever information that the customer needs at the customer's fingertips in kind of the same uh, the same ease of access, but maybe a more consumable fashion or a more customized thing where the customer gets uh, whatever slice of the internet they actually care about or something like that. You know, it's a funny thing that you're saying that. I just understood something. It's like Luminati is very similar to Google minus the filters. Like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. They, it's like um, they, they make a decision for you if you are looking for a website or not. Luminati doesn't make that decision. It's very similar to how we act as a company, how we act as people within the company with the no filters. Yeah. So it's like, uh, it's the same kind of ease of access of a Google search, except it's customized to what you actually want. Google kind of say that they don't curate content, right? Um, of course they do. But they do. And we take that to a whole, um, that, that's how. So Omri and I, we, we, shared a boss i mean i worked for his third startup i think you worked for his second and in his first um was a competitor to to youtube before it was owned by google and i think the key metric there in their success was um curating content or not and um google or youtube at the time decided not to curate content um, and that's why it was kind of more transparent and people had more choice of course they curate content. They're understanding what people want and they're giving them a specific selection in which to choose from. And we're taking that even another step further in the Google comparison is that we're not, it's like we're giving you everything and able to, to make on obviously on a mass scale, full transparency into what exists. Right. We're taking whatever's on the internet and is publicly available and we're making it available to you in a way that's easy for you to consume and integrate into your startup or uh, finance firm or whatever. The question here is, Josh, is how do you see startups, like how do you see them relying on, on this kind of hardcore data slash truth? Um, and what are the requirements to kind of really take upon it into their business? So the way I see companies that we're working with working now is they have a whole team they recognize that the internet is kind of a source of truth that they need to rely on. Um, but the process of getting it from the internet, which is kind of a wild west, messy, unstructured, constantly changing landscape into their application where they can actually make decisions correctly. It's a, it's a tricky process to build crawlers or data collectors and then uh, make sure that you're getting the right data, making sure that you're always getting the data that you need, making sure that uh, you're not getting fake data or corrupted data and to make sure that your application's online constantly. And it's, it requires a whole team and a whole infrastructure and it's very complicated. Uh, and it's a risk really, if you're a startup, because you have to develop a lot of specialty in an area which doesn't really matter to what you're trying to do. And if you get it wrong, which unless you're in the top 10% of, of people in this competency is you're probably getting it a little bit wrong. Uh, you're really, you're wasting time and effort. So basically, Luminati is an extra developer in your team. 
It's more like um, Numenati is supposed to be a set of tools that allow you to do what you were doing before, but with less resources behind it. So instead of managing a whole development team and hiring a technical competent manager and then having your own infrastructure, uh, you can just set it up and we'll do it and we'll manage the infrastructure and we'll make sure that it's working, but you just have to define what you want. What is the biggest challenge in data collection today? I guess there are two big challenges uh, and it depends on what you're trying to do. Challenge one is kind of universal, which is making a reliable data collection infrastructure that doesn't fall apart when you try to scale it is, is not a trivial task. And it requires some specialization and competence. And if you try to build it from the ground up, it's, it's going to take you a lot of time and it's going to cost you a lot, basically. Or it's going to work poorly, one of the two. Uh, and the second problem, and this depends on the particular sites you're interested in gathering data from, but some sites are very, very smart about finding the difference between uh, like a human sitting behind their laptop and punching buttons and any kind of automated system. So if you're interested in gathering public data from one of these sites that's smart, then making your system reliable is 10 times harder than it was before. Another challenge is they make it look like it's easy as long as you're not interfering with your day job, the, the website, I mean. So they, they'll make it look like if they don't care about something, it's easy. But once you hit the specific spot that, you know, that they're, you know, pain or the place they want to defend, immediately you're, you're off. I think that's kind of the... I think they're smarter than that even. It's like uh, if you do a terrible job building a data collector and you're running at a test scale, everything's fine. It starts working. It looks okay. And then as soon as you get to a scale where it matters, then they shut it down. So they're, they're actually busy, right? They're busy in, in protecting the data, even though it's public. Yeah. Well, every, every company wants the best of both worlds. Like you want your job board and you want to publish it to the whole world and you want to collect everyone's data, but you don't want anyone else to be able to see it. Ray, do you see a big difference between industry on how uh, between the industries on how they are willing to either collect or use data? I do, I do, and I think it revolves around risk. Um, in the banking industry and in financial services, uh, there's a lot of regulation to protect the the, the consumer that uses financial services, um, so they don't lose their money because it'll hurt. Um, so there is the SEC that's monitors and uh, other uh, federal or state regulations on what you can use and, and, not, and not use. And that's to protect the end users. That's the, the job of the SEC. And the data comes in and if it's generating any risk, right? So let's say I'm taking data that will create 1% um, of uh, yield over the market, but it'll create a risk of 5%. Um, they will not use it. So our job is to allow them to get data that doesn't create an additional risk on the way that we use products, on the what the type of data that we use, and so on and so forth. Now, how do, how do we do that? Um, for anything from dedicated resources to make sure that traffic is encrypted and not visible to Luminati, that we have a compliance procedures that monitors the network um, the and, ethics. Not, and the ethics approach. So we have everything to make sure that 
Um, the other customers are using Luminati ethically that we're not routing anything that might create risk, um, that uh, nothing is visible. So there's a lot of layers in Luminati, anything from ethics and tech and legal and compliance and business, everything is protecting them. Um, and that's why it's the, one of the fastest, if not the fastest growing vertical in Luminati. Um, but it's also a big growing market. Alternative data is the market that grows. I think in terms of like data market, um, maybe it's the late bloomer, but today it's catching up in terms of like size. Um, in e-commerce and travel, there is less risk. If you had asked me like six, seven years ago, what's the problem in the data market? I would say that I'm not sure that people are knowing the value. We had to prove the value. Do you think there are specific industries that still don't grasp the value of data? Um, yes, I think insurance, like there's a lot of, you know, retail startups and unicorns and whatever and travel, um, that are based on data, right? Uh, security, you have, you know, so many unicorns that are unicorns that are using, you know, the data in insurtech, you see less, it's a, it's a newer vertical. And I think it's because the, the, the industry in itself is traditional. I want to change the subjects a little bit. Um, your Twitter feed is hilarious. Oh gosh. <laughs> Full disclosure, my Twitter feed is almost exclusively complaining about tech that I don't like. And there's and there's a specific tech company that gets mentioned much more than than others. Should we mention who they are? Um I mean it's I won't Skype, say the name. Okay, let's not let's not yeah. beat around the bush. It's Skype. Yeah, it's Tell Skype. us what your beef uh, is, Skype. In short, in short, they are almost artistic in their ability to get every single aspect of their product wrong. <laughs> I have used Skype across five different platforms, and every single platform has a completely different set of terrible bugs. They're not even the same bugs all the time. There was one uh, tweet which I, I really I thought was funny, and there's, the more you read it, the more what you write is, it becomes even more hilarious. There was one specific one which was, um, I wonder if Skype is A/B testing bugs. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> like I said, they're artistic. The only way I can imagine that they get a bug that is that annoying is if they really work at it. I want to kind of like maybe bring that back into to Luminati because we have this process, as we spoke about earlier, of solving the problem at hand. And I think a byproduct of that is that, yes, there it's nothing is perfect, but you find the problems and you continue to fix in an ever-evolving way, which is constantly moving forward. Do you not think that's... So actually, let me jump in here quick. And, and on the subject of solving the problem at hand, I think Skype provides a useful example of the exact opposite of that approach, where they had their old version of Skype and it was kind of outdated looking and it was kind of old, but it sort of worked and it was just a bit buggy. So the problem at hand was this platform isn't very stable. So what they did to solve that was to completely create a new version of it, which sort of looked like Instagram and didn't solve any of the bugs and added a whole bunch of new bugs. So instead of listening to the market and solving the actual problem, they just kind of stared into their own belly button and made something that their designers thought looked pretty. And it was more useless than it was before. If you worked at Skype, how would you approach this? Maybe I'll just jump in here and answer the question that I asked you is that you have to know your customers yeah. and have to have a relationship with them. 
Well, in the case of Skype, there's another layer where you have to be your own customer. Like if the Skype people aren't using Skype exclusively for their intercompany communication, then they are, I don't understand what's going on. And if they are using Skype for their internal communication, then I don't understand how they're not noticing and fixing these bugs because they're ridiculous. How do you see the broader view of, of, the, of Luminati seeing the web um, helping you know, our customers in the market? I'm concerned this analogy might get a little too technical, but I'll give it a shot because why not? <laughs> um, math is interesting because it's like a, a tool that lets you simplify the world and arrive at answers that were hard before. And data is just facts about the world. So the more facts about the world you have available to you, the better decisions you can make, the better heights you can reach if you have information. Data is facts about the world. That's, I think that's... Um... I think that's going to make a great soundbite. Um, Josh, we, I, we've worked in the same company for almost a year. We've never really spoken. Um, definitely not this length or in depth. And as not, I'm not a developer, I'm, I'm a marketeer, but it's been a, a really interesting conversation and insight into um, a deeper, I think a deeper look into side, inside who we are and what we're doing. Um, and kind of the role of that other side, um, of the, of the company, that, that R and D side, that more in-depth product, um, sides. And that's exactly why if we ever find ourselves in the same city that I'm taking you out for coffee, because I have a hundred thousand questions, not beers. Oh, beers are fine too. Okay. I'm really Maybe sort, beer then coffee. If you can sort out that private jet, we I'll, I'll buy the beers and I'll... Perfect. We'll invite Omri along. <laughs> Josh, thank you very much for, for your time. Um, I'd definitely like to do a follow-up uh, to this to this um, vodcast podcast. Um, so yeah, it was, it's been a real pleasure. Thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah, for me too. Thanks. Uh, thank you, Josh. No problem. Have a nice night, all. <laughs>